You're listening to Partnernomics Podcast, where we discuss the art and science of developing successful strategic partnerships. To learn more about the suite of Partnernomics solutions, visit Partnernomics.com. All right, so welcome back. Today we are joined by Mr. Greg Unruh. Mr. Greg and I, man, we've been uh, we've been at this a, a while, doing a lot of collaborations together. So it's it's always entertaining and uh, always exciting to have a chance to catch up with Greg. But uh, Greg, how are things going, man? Man, busy as ever. Happy to be here, Bart. Uh, you're touching on one of my favorite topics today. So looking forward to the conversation. Awesome, man. So today we're going to to really drill into to Greg's um, background, but really more into kind of his methodologies that that he incorporates into channel partnerships that uh, he's led at a lot of different uh, organizations over the years but now he's uh leading partnerships for shipware and uh, man having some phenomenal results from shipware and uh, he's going to share some of his secrets and some of his insights with us but uh, greg if you would mind i'd, I'd love for you to just kind of share a little bit of a background with Shipware as an organization, what do they do? And uh, what are some of the, the types of partnerships that, that you are setting in place, you and your team, for, you know, for, for shipping and, and in this channel lane? Yeah, so Shipware is a technology and consulting company that's purely focused on cost reduction with a client's annual shipping spend, whether that be parcel, think of FedEx, UPS uh, predominantly, uh, or LTL, truckload, or other modes. Uh, but we're all about cost reduction and savings. And in fact, uh, that is our revenue model. We are based, uh, we pay ourselves out a, a small percentage of the savings we achieve. So uh, we're very low risk, uh, really no risk to a client. Um, they don't have to change any operational uh uh, changes or considerations. Uh, we just simply allow them to do what they do every day, but just pay less. And that's by us coming in uh, from the consulting side. Uh, we've got uh, revenue management and pricing analysts that used to work for the carriers now work on our side of the fence on behalf of our clients. But then we have a benchmarking data lake that allows us to uh, benchmark a, a company's carrier agreement to show them kind of where they rank or score with uh, similar uh, shipping profiles. And with that, uh, we typically find about 21.5% savings is our historical average against that annual spend. So at a very high level, that is what we're focused on. We achieve that in, in a number of different ways. I won't get into all the details of, of the product and solution, but just to the other half of your question, the type of partners that I'm working with, predominantly referral partners, um, but you know, to different grades of referral partner. I have all the way to the individual uh, consultant um, that has a book of business to very, very large uh, companies and organizations that uh, a lot of technology companies I work with. Um, and we can talk more about what that engagement uh, looks like uh, at the end of the day, it's referrals back to us. And oftentimes they fill uh, gaps in our core offering and, and we have reciprocal terms uh, that we go back to them. So it's, it's a very sticky and, and uh, tight relationship with the partners and definitely not the number of partners, but the right partners. We had to, you know, when I came aboard ship where I had to, uh, you know, kind of sunset quite a few partners that, 
were suffocating, uh, taking the air out of the room of uh, some others that were ready to thrive. And that's, that's kind of where we are today. Awesome. So from a customer's perspective, um, pretty much any organization that, that, that ships uh, these, these small parcels, relatively small parcels across the country, they're, they're a solid client. And from a partner perspective, uh, those other organizations that are out there who, who have access or have a network of, of different clients or folks that they work with who then ship, um, they would, sounds like they could potentially be a solid partner for you. Yeah, absolutely. You know, a lot of my partners have, they don't ship. That's not their profile. They're a, you know, IP based organization, a technology or solution provider or services provider. However, they are selling their solutions and their products into companies that do ship significantly, e-commerce, retail, manufacturing, uh, you know, those are the traditional ones we think of, but then uh, healthcare and pharma and different, different areas. So those technology providers that are selling into those, uh, those clients that do have a shipping profile, uh, it's in their interest to bring us in uh, because we are finding those cost savings. And what we do know is they're also trying to pitch a technology solution into these same clients that in many cases have a six and seven digit uh, price tag to it. And so they get, they kind of get entangled in these budgetary planning cycles that, uh, that can be a challenge. It can be barriers. And so we help push, we help them push through those barriers. Uh, you know, when they bundle our solution with their technology platform, we can come in, find those hidden dollars. Uh, you know, like I said, 21 and a half percent average savings is significant if you're a million dollar shipper, you know, $210,000 in gross annual savings. Now we pay ourselves a little bit out of that. So it might be closer to like a, you know, $200,000 or what have you. But uh, in any event, that would fund a lot of technology licenses for that partner that we work with. Uh, it just, it creates greater entanglement between the partner, uh, the client and us, uh, but it helps them accelerate their sales cycle, push through the budgetary barriers, gives them a competitive edge, uh, particularly in RFPs and that when you can come to the table with a funding source along with your technology. So Greg, you spent um, you know, the, the bulk of your career, if not you know, basically all of it in channel and standing up channels uh, for different companies over the course of the years. I'd love to just kind of kick this conversation off and talk more generally. Well, I would like for, for you, if you would, Share some of your kind of overarching insights that you've gained over, over the years, over the last couple of decades of yeah. standing up multiple channel partnerships. But what are some of those kind of core table stakes that, that channel managers need to evaluate or kind of get set in right from the outset, whether they're standing up a brand new program or taking over a program and, and trying to optimize it? Well, I have a golden rule and it applies to both. It applies to already established channel programs and, and, and to those that are looking to stand one up. And my golden rule is, is if you're not top of mind with your partner, somebody else is. And what that means is I'm competing for mind share. I know that the partners I have have other partners and we're all jockeying for that position, for that mind share not just at the corporate level, but all the way down to the field level, uh, rep to rep, if you will. And, you know, 
competing for that mind share can be a challenge. So this is where I think that we're very unique. We've deployed some very unique uh, engagement strategies that allow us to have mind share that happens at multiple levels of the organization so that we are top of mind. And that's really what I'm competing against every day to ensure that that partner is thinking about us and not somebody else and making sure uh, that we're, we're at the top of that list uh, when they're out in the field talking to clients that we potentially want to talk to. Yeah, so so critical. Greg, I'd love, to, I'd love to, to drill into that a little bit. What are some things that, as far as strategies, what are some things that we can do as channel managers to better position ourselves to be top of mind? Yeah, that's, it's a multi-touch approach internally and externally. So internally, I do a lot of work with our content creation, marketing, uh, but then also I do a lot of work with our direct sales team and inside sales team. And what that, what that means is I, create, I have to create purpose uh, for an engagement with a partner contact. I'm not a big fan of just you know reaching out because uh, there's got to be a purpose around that, and so we'll create content, and I and that content is really just pivot points. So when we send out a, a thought leadership or a, you know some industry news or what have you that we think would be relevant to the partner and to the partner's clients, we also notify the 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 reps internally. This piece went out to the client or to the, excuse me, to the partner, um, this is a pivot point. This is an opportunity for you to reach out to your paired contact with the partner. I, I'm kind of skipping over, I fast forward a little bit, but we do a role-based partner pairing strategy at Shipware. So if you can think of a Shipware rep paired to a partner sales rep, a manager paired to a manager, a director paired to a director, executive to executive, and we have different uh, sequence and touches that we do executive level might be a quarterly uh, strategic business review whereas a a rep to rep uh, role-based uh, uh, touch point could could be as frequent as weekly or bi-weekly or monthly and we actually have a scoring system that allows the rep to control how effective that partnership or or that that pairing i should say is uh is going and so uh, it's a way of them to kind of manage, is this a good pairing? Are we, are we getting the engagement? If not, they do have the ability to score them out of sequence, drop them into more of a nurture sequence with marketing, and they'll continue to get the content drips and that kind of thing. But then we'll repair that rep with somebody that's going to be more engaged because it's that field level engagement that is really the engine that drives all of it. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm always working at a macro level from a partner partnership strategy perspective. Uh, but the engine that really has the whole thing running is fostering and developing those field level relationships. Uh, that's where we're getting the greatest uh, movement as far as uh, leads and then conversion to revenue. I love that approach. It's not about just getting a deal signed with with an organization and hoping, I hear this word way too much, and just hoping that you get results out of it, but you actually connect across the two organizations at multiple levels, this uh, opportunity to, to build relationships. And really, let's face it, it's about building accountability. 
what did the organizations sign up to provide as a part of the relationship and then build this, this ongoing personal relationship that fosters accountability to get results? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Um, so I use the term APR, activity procedure results. Um, we call it an APR score. So that's another scoring system we have internally. And that's one that I look at, not from a punitive uh, perspective, but I look at it. Um, so when I kind of get into the metrics and the vital factors of things that I look at, I can look at a rep level. And, and although a rep doesn't report to me, they report to their sales leaders on that side of the organization. It's important to me to see what their level of activity is with their partner pairings on a on a daily basis. Uh, they have enough pairings that there should be daily touches across a, a series of partners that they're paired with or contacts. I will look at that scoring and if I see, and, and I'll, I'll work with the, the sales leadership, and if I see that that rep is maybe coming in under quota, we wanna inspect why is that? What's their activity? You know, they're going to have their direct activities, cold calling and the things that they do normally, but this is kind of a hybrid role. If I look in and I go back and I can inspect that while well, your partner touches are way down, um, I can, there, there's an absolute dotted line. There is a clear connection to your level of partner activity and your quota attainment. And there's a lot of statistics around this from a close ratio and those sorts of things that, that uh, uh, you know, when you're in the, from a cold calling perspective, low single digit conversion, whereas uh, those opportunities that come through a partner are north of 40%. Um, that makes it really interesting, but it takes a little bit for that sales organization. They've got to see it to believe it. And so you, you kind of, you, you, you find a horse to ride and kind of make a, you know, make somebody an example. That's kind of how I've done this in the beginning. We roll it out as a program. I find somebody to really champion and mentor. And then I take that success and then success breeds success. It, uh, everyone else is kind of jumping on board. And right now we have this, uh, we have the, the engine really humming right now at Shipware in that regard. Yeah, I love that. So I, I want to hit on this uh, role-based partner pairing a little bit more because it, uh, it really is, kind of unique or at least your methodology pushes it to a layer deeper than what most organizations would do i i believe and um we we kind of have this this idea of everybody's heard of the the Pareto principle the 80 20 rule right we got 20 percent of our partners that deliver 80 percent of the results but i love even like your your apr methodology of let's let's find our 20 percent and let's focus on the 20 percent so right. not only do we kind of have this less is more, it's not about the big net and as many partners as we could get, but it's really going after those partners that we are well aligned with that have the greatest probability of giving us results on the front end. Those are the, the, the companies that we want to partner with. But then even post-signature, we have processes in place, relationship building in place, very intentional about proactively managing these partners so that we're putting our effort into that 20%. Well, yeah, you're, so we're just, we're scratching the surface on this, Mark. Before I could actually roll out and, and execute on this role-based partner pairing strategy, I had to ensure that we had all of the right fields and the tracking, everything set up in Salesforce. 
we implemented or invested into a PRM platform that integrates to our sales force to give visibility back to the partner of, of the opportunities they bring to us so they can track it and have complete transparency of that. So, but there was a lot that we had to do operationally from a technology platform, CRM, PRM, workflow, some of the processes that we put in place. Uh, once we had all that in uh, configured and set up, then we started rolling out the training program for, for our inside sales reps of what does it mean? I mean, these are typically direct sellers. They're not used to being in a uh, typically highly transactional. They're not used to cultivating and managing relationships. And I'm not asking them to manage the partnership. I'm asking them to engage at a personal level from a rule-based you know, partner pairing uh, initiative to develop that relationship and that trust at their level of the organization. Um, and we do that at multiple levels. Uh, that engagement um, becomes really powerful because now you've, you've developed multiple touch points across an entire organization. And sometimes that role-based that, that role partner pairing extends beyond uh, sales. It goes into marketing. So I'm, I'm pairing marketing resources to marketing resources, uh, professional services to professional services. We're creating multiple touch points, multiple levels, but giving purpose to each one of those touch points. And part of that purpose is we proactively uh, work with marketing and content creation that we do a monthly newsletter. That's, that's the easy part uh, that's planned and coordinated. But on top of that, we do a 90 day biweekly content cycle. And it's just dropping little nuggets of thought leadership that go out to all of those contacts, all those partner contacts. And although we, you know, although the, the content itself is meaningful and relevant, what it really is, is just a pivot point. It's a pivot point for that shipware uh, contact to reach out to their paired partner contact and say, hey, I want to make sure you got this piece we just sent out. I thought it was really relevant to you and or your clients. Would love to chat with you about it or answer any questions you have. Oftentimes, when you just get the diet, it's a, it's a conversation starter. Once you get that conversation started, oftentimes what happens is there is a pivot, particularly in sales. You start talking about deals or opportunities or what are you working on now? And that's where we're getting a, a, a nice swell of, of lead gen happening out of this type of engagement. But it's very, it's very planned, very strategic. Everything has purpose. Um, I create multiple touch points. And what I tell our, what I tell our reps is a, an individual shipware rep may have up to 30 paired partner contacts. Well, you can't touch all 30 every day, but what you can do is stagger those out in groups over the course of a, a week or two and make sure you have a partner touch. And there's always a reason to do that. that and then it just recycles itself and you continue to go through that process. So you're always having some level of engagement and that once that engine gets going, it, uh, you know, it, it's going. Well, the proof is in the pudding, right? Yeah. You've done this, uh, you've done this several times and you just continue to get solid results. So it's, it's awesome to see that. One of the things that I think is, is really great, Greg, is, um, that, that, that you, that, you know, that your teams do is it's, it's not just about having 
attractive financials and a relationship, but it's also ensuring that your your partners are educated. I mean, they, they can't sell and they can't advocate for something they don't understand. And it's something that, that, you know, that I've really admired about the way that you set up programs is to make sure that, that they're educated as well. So there's, that's a great point. And, and the partner pairings are a part of that. Um, so, you know, anytime we bring on a new partner, there's the training. And I don't want them to be experts on everything that Shipware does. That's not the point of training. The point of training is that they have a general broad awareness of what we do. And it's really quite simple that if you'd like to reduce your shipping spend uh, by 21.5% on average, and, and that would be of, of interest and you, you, know, you have a certain amount of spend, um, that the qualifying is fairly easy. Um, but I don't want them to be an expert on every single strategy and, and component of our service, but how to look for uh, the right, you know, what questions to ask, the right qualifying questions, and then start digging in on some of the pain points. And particularly with a lot of our partners, uh, technology partners specifically, because I know that they're going to that client trying to pitch that, you know, six, seven figure dollar uh, deal to that client. And they're inevitably going to be up against, you know, some, some sort of budgetary constraint or barrier that they have to get through. You got to fund this project some way. Um, so we go through all of that on the front end training but then we reinforce that constantly through the role-based partner pairing. Once those rep to rep, manager to manager, leader to leader, once we all kind of have that conversation going, it just creates multiple opportunities to reinforce our value to them. And then in some cases, their value to us, because sometimes they, you know, we have partners that do fill uh, gaps in our core offerings that, uh, that can benefit our clients. And we're happy to bring those partners in in fact, I'm a, I'm a firm believer of that that's a big part of my strategy is to make sure that we are uh, making this a, a, a two-way street, if you will. So Greg, what's a good profile for a company that's, that's a good match for this role-based partner pairing? You know, it's, it's almost like, you know, I envision like a football game where we're, we're a quarterback and we're calling certain plays. Where, where, is, where does the, the, the role-based partner pairing, where is that the right play call? Well, I think particularly new, uh, newer companies that are trying to stand up a partner program or a channel, it, I think it can be both. I think it can be existing mature organizations, but I think probably the impact is greatest to a, a newer program that is maybe has resource constraints. You know, they have a partner program, they've invested a little bit into it, but when it comes to having enough resources to effectively support and manage that partnership. Uh, you know, again, when you're competing back to the golden rule, if you're not top of mind or someone else is, uh, you know, you may have, you may have, you know, put in the proper infrastructure and technology, but if you only have an individual or two that's managing a large ecosystem of partners, um, there, it's just not humanly possible to stay top of mind without leveraging some of these additional resources in an effective way. And it just creates the, it's the force multiplier because there's multiple levels of engagement across various departments. Um, so whether you're a startup or uh, just launching a new channel or partner program, or if you're already a well-established, you know, mature company that already has a, a good partner program, I think this could be equally as effective because 
again, it's all about that awareness and, and making sure that you're competing for that mind share and winning. Um, you know, I, I've done it in both. I've worked with very, very large, you know, billion dollar company that uh, has a very mature partner program. This is part of the strategy, uh, but we've, I, I think it's most effective, uh, greatest impact with some of the smaller uh, companies that, that maybe are under-resourced in many ways. This is a way to maximize the resources you have internally. So Greg, I know you and I are both uh, big fans of, of kind of these must-have lists. And uh, so I'd love for you to share, what are the must-haves for channel partnership success? As people are standing up these programs or are really looking to, I guess, kind of re-architect them to kind of get them re-kick-started, what are, what are the kind of the must-haves for, for success uh, for channel programs? Yeah, without, without getting into a whole philosophical conversation, the must-have as it is with any partner program, whether it be channel or anything else, is that you have that executive support and sponsorship. It is simply not going to work if you don't have that executive support and sponsorship to begin with. Um, sales leadership, I mean, everybody has to be on board. And sometimes in, uh, in the partner development leader role, it can be a challenge because you know, you're influencing all these other departments, but you really don't have authority over any of them. So getting that executive uh, endorsement and sponsorship across all departments, because you will touch all departments at some point, is probably number one. That's key. Um, you got to make sure the executives are on board with it. Number two is make sure you have a, a good way of, of managing your partnerships from a technology perspective. A CRM and ideally a PRM which the difference between the two is, is the PRM is just a gateway into your in, internal uh, customer relationship system. Um, but it's a, in, in how you manage your sales. It's just a gateway into that that gives a filtered view out to the partners. Really big thing with partnerships is they, they want transparency. They want to know, they want to be able to track how that deal is is progressing through your stages of the of your sales funnel, um, how you're handling uh, their client that they brought to you, and that's really important. I always say uh, these are these are never our clients. We're just providing services to our partners' clients. It's just a a mindset you have you have to have. And then probably the third, I think, to to be successful is I'm such a firm believer just because I've seen it so many times. I would absolutely roll out the role-based partner pairing strategy. And that's part of that executive sponsorship that everybody understands that you're going to play a role in this, regardless of what your role is in the company, you are going to have a personal role in this partner strategy across the organization. So when you see that revenue and you see those leads come in, you know that you will have participated in that process in one form or another. Those are kind of my, my top three, I think. Yeah, and it's so interesting that uh, I was just got off a, another conversation. We were talking about partnering as a culture, and a lot of organizations that have this direct approach from their, you know, historically they have this direct approach. Doing this partnering thing is is a little weird. It's a little different, and it's and it requires a culture shift. And one of those uh, the common pieces of that is, uh, you know, as we run our direct sales teams. 
that's very short run focus, very quota driven, very transactional. And it's, it's about hurrying up and trying to get to that yes. But then understanding that on the partnering side, you're, you're standing up systems and processes and, and working through being able to leverage that, that multiplier effect that you talk about. And those things, it's different. It takes time and it takes commitment. You've got to see it through. Yeah, you know, in this particular role, um, I'm as much involved internally with our sales and marketing and, and development as I am really in almost an equal sense with the partners and the multiple partners that we might be involved with. I'm just as intimate and involved in the you know, relevant sales, partner marketing, development initiatives, all the different things. So, uh, you know, it's a really unique position because you're working internally and externally and you're really responsible on both sides. You know, at the end of the day, we're looking for results. Uh, but you have to have a system, something you can execute on, something you can measure. Um, I talked about vital factors. For me, I've got certain vital factors that are really important to me that I look at. Um, the APR, the partner score, uh, all of these are, are configurations we've established. We use Salesforce internally. And these are things I've set up in Salesforce that we have control and can measure on. But then I also look at revenue and conversion rates and, and all the different things. And it's compelling and it's crystal clear when you have the engine running and you can see the conversion rates and you can see the deal size uh, comparative to a, you know, a cold call or an unsolicited call. Um, it's, uh, it's compelling uh, and crystal clear how much of an impact uh, this partner strategy can have on your long-term growth strategy of the company. Yeah, it gives you the ability to, to leverage relationships, which is absolutely huge. And so uh, it's, uh, it's an awesome accelerator. Mr. Greg, thank you so much for your time. It's awesome catching up with you and awesome to, uh, to get an update on the amazing success that you guys are having there at Shipware. Keep up, uh, keep up the good work, buddy. Yeah, thanks, Mark. Uh, it's been a lot of fun and I always appreciate having these conversations with you. So uh, thank you for uh, having me on today. Appreciate it. Partnernomics podcast is brought to you by Partnernomics. Learn how to leverage the power of partnership. To listen to more episodes of Partnernomics podcast, visit partnernomics.com.